The Film and TV Show is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. This is the Oasis. It's a place where the limits of reality are your own imagination. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. I'm here talking to all of you now because our future's being threatened. I just came here to escape, but I found something much bigger than myself. I found my friends. I found love. And now, people have lost their lives. No, 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 This is war. We're in control of the future. Find him. Welcome to the rebellion, Wade. You don't tell anyone who you are. You can't use your real name. Hold on to something. This isn't just a game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. What's going on? The track is in my Mario Kart! Come on! Ask yourself, are you willing to fight? Hello, yes, and welcome to the Film and TV Show with me, Richard S. Uh, on our birthday, it's our very first birthday, <laughs> so we've been doing, I've been doing this show for exactly a year tonight, so thank you very much for that, uh, Stevie, that's brilliant, thank you. Um, joined by Alex, as always. As always. As always. Um, yes, so it's, it's nice, it's our birthday, and we've been giving mm. the love over Twitter today, which is awesome, um, as well as on Facebook as well, so... Um, which is really, really nice. So we've been doing it a year, which is pretty decent. So I uh, hope many more to come with everything that we've got planned yes. coming up will yeah. be uh, will be good. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so welcome back. It's been a couple of weeks since we uh, did the last show. I've had a Holly Bobs and uh, yeah. come back refreshed. We were going to do Steven Spielberg. It's, it's uh, still kind of there. It's still kind of Spielberg. But <laughs> what we are going to be doing today is we're going to be talking about Ready Player One. Uh, we're going to be comparing the book versus the the movie. Now, the reason we're doing this is because I'm so riled up <laughs> yeah, after going tell. to see it while I was on holiday. More like uh, Ready Player None. <laughs> uh, more like Ready Player Steven Spielberg's going to get a slap in the face. But anyway, um, so yeah, so we're going to be talking about that today with some uh, awesome 80s uh, themed music. Cool. So you could tell by the beginning intro that was actually the trailer mm. to Ready Player One. If you haven't seen Ready Player One, um, you may as well just stop now and come back <laughs> no, and listen no, to this. No, no, we do advise that you go and see it. It is a yeah. good movie. You will enjoy yourself. Yeah, do go and watch the film first. If you haven't watched the film, 
then uh, you may want to skip over this episode and come back to us if you're listening on it, the podcast. It won't make much sense if you haven't really seen the film, to be honest. But uh, Yeah. Um, you can listen in if you want. If you're one of these people like me who don't really care if people yeah. ruin a film for you, that's that, that's fine. So um, this is the fair warning. Spoilers are ahead. Yes, and there are plenty of them as well. So uh, so yeah, um, I'm wearing my film and TV show garb. I thought I'll <laughs> I'll go out even though it's relatively warm but raining outside uh, and wear my film and TV garb with mm. my Flawston Paradise T-shirt underneath. All done by Sorella Print. So you can speak to Louise at Sorella Print if you need anything doing. She's also one of the main. Uh, Sponsors for the Lowdown Film Festival, as are we. Uh, we are the exclusive podcast behind the scenes people for the uh, festival, and we're also working with Feel the Force Day as well mm. uh, in October, which is a fantastic, fantastic cause. Um, we're also working uh, with Creed Conventions as well, based uh, they do Creed Conventions do loads of Comic Cons, St mm. Albans, Watford, uh, Bath, Bristol. Reading, all down there, they'll do some amazing Comic-Cons. So if you're into your cons and you live down there, or you don't, go down and check them out. Anyway, they've got some amazing <laughs> guests coming up. But uh, but we're working with them as well. So uh, it's been a very busy year. Yes. Um, don't want to dwell on it too much, because I want to get straight into this. But it's been a fantastic year. Very lucky to, uh, to be where we are and to have the amount of subscribers and listeners that we have. And to also have the... Um, the ability to do what we do and let's talk mm. about films and TV shows and just get on our high horses really and, <laughs> and talk to you guys and you guys like it, which is brilliant. So um, if you can leave us a review on iTunes, you're awesome. We'll happily read it out regardless whether it's good, bad or indifferent. Yeah. It doesn't matter. We will... <laughs> Straight up insults to both of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's fine. I don't mind. You know, you crack mm. on. If you want to insult us, that's fine. You know, we'll it just means it you'll definitely, we'll still read it out. Yeah, yeah, we'll still read it out anyway. So... Um, <laughs> So, yeah, but thank you very much for listening if you are listening on the podcast and if you're listening live now, thank you very much as well. Um, just beware that, obviously, like we said, there are spoilers ahead. So mm. if you don't want to know, you may as well switch off and come back to us on the podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher and everywhere else. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so let's talk about Ready Player One. Should then. we talk about the good things first before we set you off? I haven't cause... got very many. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I have. I have. It. L- let's start off by saying that it is a Spielberg film. And, yeah. and by that, I don't mean the obvious that it's directed by Steven Spielberg. It's that the overall feel, the cinematography, the production, the Very well-polished. It is a very, very well-polished mm. film. And it's got those nice, niche, little Steven Spielberg touches. Mm. It's just the... Uh, the panning cameras in certain angles, yeah. the, the the slow zoom-ins or the overhead bird's-eye view um, the shots. that they did that I um, on sort of reflection of the movie, uh, when you're talking about like the camera panning and things, um, they didn't limit it to just inside the virtual world either. No. Um, it was during some of the later scenes in, in the real world that they sort of continued that theme of like the camera just panning around everything. Yeah getting really close in there. I think that's a credit to Steven Spielberg for paying attention to thinking like, yeah, we can do these amazing things in full sort of uh, animated style, which which it is because it's just all uh, digitally animated. um, But also doing it in the real world was a really good touch as well. Yeah, it was. And you can definitely tell that it is something that he's paid particular um, attention to. Uh, in in the book, um, I can't say that there's much else that he's paid particular attention to. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. But Sheath the claws for a second. <laughs> yes, I know, right? I'm like Wolverine. Um, or a cat. 
Chatty face. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, if you haven't heard of Ready Player One, let's just give you a very brief um, lowdown on it. So it's a book or a novel that was written by Ernest Cline and is set slightly in the future, 2045, and follows a guy called Wade, who uh, is a gunter, who's basically there. They live in a world, it's a real world, a bit like the Matrix, real world and a, and a non-real world. And in the non-real world called the Oasis mm. was devised by uh, two pretty smart guys who basically let it out for everybody and you can do yeah. whatever you want in it. It's, a, it's basically a computer simulation, but it allows you to do whatever you want, be whoever you want. You have mm. an avatar um, you have a, a made-up name, and you don't be. You can be whatever you want to be yeah. in this uh, fake world. And the the creator dies. Uh, well, one of the creators dies, and he leaves three keys, which once collected enables the person who has them to control the oasis and do as they they want. Mm. And you have the Gunters like Wade, whose uh, avatar is Parzival, and his friends Artemis and H. Um, show and show Dito. and Dito, yeah. yeah, and also I Rock in the book as well. I'm just putting that out there, uh, and I'll tell you what I mean in a minute. Um, and <laughs> they basically uh, they go against the IOI, who are uh, they're an arsehole corporation. Basically, they want to yes. monetize the Oasis. They want to give people they're the um, the future version of Electronic Arts. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They they want to charge people for everything. So if you want to be uh, if you want to get something or you want you you want anything within the Oasis, you have to pay for it. Yeah. If you want uh, a certain level, you got to pay for it. Uh, you'll get chucked with adverts. So they basically want to just control the Oasis for the negatives. So mm. the race is on between the Gunters. And the uh, the IOI who yeah, sixes yeah the sixes who basically contain uh, sixes in their beginning of their numbers they're, they're yeah. just numbers but there's <clears throat> thousands of them that work for the IOI and they all have access to the Oasis and it's a race against time to see who gets the keys first yeah is the gist of it basically uh, set against the backdrop of uh, a love of the eighties mm-hmm. music films it's like if you love the eighties like me. It's literally like Nirvana or Nerdvana. It's just... It is uh, very Nerdvana. Like, yeah, man. Oh, man, there is, there is just so many... Uh, of a movie about Easter eggs, uh, well, it is literally about an Easter egg. Yeah, literally. Uh, the, the film itself contains so many Easter eggs, not only just to movies, but like video games, music, just anything. It's just, it, it, it's just uh, a plethora of... Um, mm. Nods to to films, to characters, to literally everything eighties related. It's fantastic. Even the clothing in the Oasis is aimed at the eighties, which yeah. is brilliant. I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, and uh, and yeah, so that that's pretty much the uh, the, the film and book. General, yeah, general. Um, the good parts of the film. Okay, so let's talk about the good parts of the film. So the visualization of the world, like yeah, it is. From just, I didn't read the book. Uh, I read the sort of synopsis that I found online, uh, just detailing the differences between the movie and the book. Um, but from the idea of just reading a book that leaves so much up to the imagination of the reader, uh, it is a fantastic visual uh, visualization of interpreting that sort of novel uh, and giving you a visual image on the screen of how that looks and how that will work. Um, I do have issues 
with the overall movie that we'll get into as well yeah. um because purely from you know a uh, background in video gaming and yeah things like that and general sort of movie plots there were a few things that came up in mind that I was like that doesn't quite work but yeah. um but generally like just the the scape and the breadth of the film to do what the, uh, to do what was done was really impressive absolutely i think uh, i really i particularly now pe- people will sit there and say oh yeah i love the way they did the oasis that's easy that's all computer generated anyone i'd say to a anyone point, they still had to get the artists into obviously come up with the concepts and yeah but in in the grand scheme of things it's it's relatively simple when you're cgi in a cgi world yeah it's yeah easy. like it, it's not putting well i'm sure there were like human stand-ins to just capture the movement yeah I'm but sure. it's certainly like you're saying it's it's putting animated stuff on animated it's not putting real people like no. star wars did uh real people against uh computer generated backdrops no, exactly um what i did particularly like was the amount of detail for columbus stacks mm. i really really liked that i think the opening shot of that with the the voiceover of uh, of Wade literally reading the the words from the first couple of pages of the book mm. was phenomenal and i think it's really really great um the the way that they got it just they got the visualization of it right which was brilliant mm. and i really liked the way that it looked because visually it looked how i thought it looked yeah. in my mind when i was reading the book like a uh like a, a United States version of a shanty town. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. but going up as yeah. opposed to, to kind of spreading out on the ground. Mm. It was going up, which I thought was really good, and I really liked the attention to detail on that because obviously there was a lot of detail because it wasn't just mm. one stack. There were, um, well, in the book, there was 27 stacks yeah, in that particular up. area. Um, that's only mm. his particular area of uh, of Columbus. Obviously, it's a lot more than that, but... It's um yeah I really really liked that and I I actually quite liked the uh the the way that the character played uh, Wade I actually quite liked him I thought he was very yeah. good I thought he was actually believable Yeah he um I've only seen him in one other movie which was the newest X-Men uh, Apocalypse yeah. as Cyclops Yes he was yeah uh and I think he did an all right job in there but again I think it was really easy to get lost with so many actors in that movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad he got his chance with this movie, and he certainly um, he certainly came across as believable. Um, mm. There was not a single time that I thought, "Oh, this is just an actor pretending to be this character." I, I was fully enveloped in the story. Uh, again, I don't know if that's down to him. obviously the character is well written in the book, uh, so he had a lot to base it off of, and he's got a really good director there uh, with plenty of years of experience of dealing with actors and getting them to you know uh, produce their best work yeah so uh but yeah he certainly did a really good job he did he he actually when when reading the book he actually brought the person to life i actually really mm. felt like i was watching wade from the film mm. uh, from the book yeah. i actually felt like i was seeing the his incarnation on the big screen he Which portrayed like that sort of uneasy nerdiness, um, yeah. where he he wasn't quite so sure of himself when he was uh, in the real world, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, there was a definite sort of confidence that he had when he was his avatar, yes, uh, in the game world. Yes, absolutely, and I I completely agree. I think that he was he was more confident in the in the Oasis than mm. he was in the real world, which you know it which shouts true to the book because in the book. 
he's he's not a people person outside yeah. of outside of the oasis a he's bit like very Halliday. Much, yeah you know and and james Halliday, who's the the co-creator with um og moro yeah he um yeah he he was very much uh, very much very into being alone mm. and uh, and i think some of the quotes in the book actually stem true for a lot of people that you know people can't escape reality because it's real but they will try to and they yeah. will use the the oasis as a as an escape and even you can even say things like that are true now where people oh, yeah. escape well, into games and so, so easy world of warcraft being the number one um i'm i'm still a member <laughs> i still log on and uh, play world of warcraft and uh uh, I saw a lot of influences from that and from uh, Warframe, which is another sort of MMO game where you can build your own sort of like battle suit and you take it into different uh, different levels. And the way that they were sort of trading items and like some people were crafting them and then selling them to other people that that was a very that was very MMO RPG esque. So I I initially um, was really on board with that. The only thing that really uh, bugged me. Uh, about the movie was later on uh when h creates the office and it, yeah that was the only bit that got to me because basically with the iron giant it's alluded to that artemis has seen the iron giant before yeah but the iron giant <laughs> and what the basis for me is um what's the sort of if you establish that you can build anything in the game yeah then anything is uh then the entire game is limitless yes however what I assumed was that H had got a blueprint of the Iron Giant from somewhere, whether like he slash she uh, won it in a game, uh, or whether he just bought it himself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he was building it himself. He hadn't just bought the entire Iron Giant. No, he'd bought the specs and was building it. Yeah. Yeah, building it himself. But then, like towards the end, when they build the office, there is no way that they could have done that with just like random blueprints. No, it would have needed to have been specific. They were needed to, which I think they get from... Um, it was a bit like they almost sort of hacked the system or coded it. It was very... Yeah, they they, they alluded to it using his password uh, and, and yeah. linking it through his through Sorrento's chain. Uh, Nolan Sorrento is the uh, head of the IOI. IOI. Yeah. Um, and he basically left his password yeah. to, his, <laughs> to his... His encryption password was on his chair, which was seen... By uh, by uh, Wade when yeah. he was uh, 3D imaged into via the, the Oasis into the from the real world into the Oasis and back out again into Sorrento's office. Yeah, um, and he saw the password. So there was, I think there was just for me that was the little unbelievable bit because yeah. it was a bit like okay, where does the creativity stop? Yeah, and like where does uh, what is it? What does it begin and end? Sort of thing because once you like lose all parameters suddenly it doesn't become as believable no if you've got no um if you, no, no rules ceiling, yeah yeah and and i i know that a lot of people listening will say yeah but james halliday said there are no rules and he doesn't and he doesn't like rules but you yeah. still have to have rules regardless yeah. there are still um technological rules that you can't bypass when you're cre- creating something in a cgi world you exactly. you're always bound by by some, something yeah some even if it's just the basics of the physics engines uh, at work within video games. Well, just basic coding. Rules. Yeah. Um, for instance, like, I loved... Uh, okay, so this is this is my favourite bit of the movie, uh, and it is the end battle, because 
the idea of summoning a Gundam uh, to go against a Mecha Godzilla was just that was uh, I've always been a fan of like anime I've told I've, yeah, I think yeah. I've mentioned it a You've couple mentioned, of times yeah I think you might have mentioned yeah, it a few yeah, times we, we yeah. need to do a, an episode purely on anime so I can geek out properly but okay. uh, <laughs> but like that was really good fan service but it came with like some rules obviously you had Sorrento who could pay for the massive weapon that is Mecha Godzilla, uh, and obviously at quite some cost and then you had Daito, on the other hand, who had won his ability to transform for two minutes into uh, a chosen giant robot uh, of the user's choice, and he chooses a Gundam. Um, and there are some specific rules there that obviously shows the difference between earning like something and also paying for, yeah, uh, paying to win effectively, which we're encountering a lot of in today's gaming society. But uh, yeah, um, but there are there are those rules that are based there for a reason. And um, when you take away certain rules like, oh, in that case, why couldn't Daito have paid for a Gundam? Well, he could have, I guess, at some point, if but he, uh, to, if he, he had the done. money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a there is a, a reason behind the, the Gundam, and, mm. and I will get to it. Yeah. I will get to it. Um, the, the, there were a few things I did I, I did really like. Um, <laughs> on top of yeah, I love the little Chucky thing. I thought that was brilliant. It's not in the book either. Hmm. Um, it's just like Spielberg decided to go. Do you know what? Let's put Chucky it. in it. Let's just chuck Chucky in there, you know. Which I thought, and using him as a sort of Chucky grenade. Yeah, was they, actually they quite them. cool. <laughs> that was so awesome. Um, it was quite cool. There were, I mean, you know, I I do like a lot of the uh, a lot of the parts. I did think that they got the 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 meeting between Wade and Sorrento was actually quite good. Yes, and that was almost spot on to the to the book. The way that Sorrento is all you know, all nicey nicey. I want to give you this, that, and the other. Yeah. And then when he says you can go f yourself, he's like, I'm glad I'm I'm glad you said that because then he instantly yeah. turns into the nasty piece of shit that he actually is, and actually proves mm. just how far he'll go to to actually do it and, yeah. and to get what he wants, which ultimately is control of the oasis. And I do like. The, uh, the little memory bits that they chuck in with Sorrento and um, Morrow and uh, yeah. Halliday. I do like that. I thought that was really clever. Um, and I thought that the guy who played Sorrento actually did it really well. He Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, he had he had very much um, very very much the the likability in terms of how he looked, but he was he he handled the the contrast of personalities mm. of Sorrento really really well because you could almost call Sorrento sort of bipolar. Because one minute he's yeah. he's as nice as pie, and the next minute he just switches, and he is just literally the most evil person you could ever think of. Because he just literally flicks a switch. It's that gen. Uh, it's that he epitomizes villains like perfectly because he did so in Rogue One. He was the um, I can't remember the character's name, but he was uh, the main villain of that yeah, as yeah. well. Um, but he's he's a terrific actor. Hopefully he doesn't uh, get too typecast for villain no. roles. Um, but certainly he did a really good job in this. And um, I can understand what you mean because he can come across as, like, well, uh, up until you realise he's being fed information from his subordinates. Yeah. Uh, he comes across as really quite likeable in that scene. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden you just, oh, he's a fraud. Oh, yeah. and, he's, and he's just, like, lying to him straight away. But, but even in the book, he literally is a fraud. 
mm. in the book. He's he rides the coattails of Morrow and Halliday, yeah, uh, and and believes that he has a right to the Oasis because he was there with them, mm. even though he technically wasn't. He was like an apprentice, but yeah. Anyway, so um, so yeah, they're the bits I really like about yes. the film. I do like that that Spielberg has put his own Spielberg spin on it and hasn't mm. tried to be something he's not. Um, the references, the 138 hidden Easter eggs within the film. Um, at one point, there is a TARDIS floating around yep, in the apparently background. Apparently, the uh, female Doctor uh, made a cameo in it yep. as well. Did not see her. But then again, there is so many things that I did not see in this movie. Yeah, you need to, you need to look back. Um, I mean, I, I was f- frantically trying to type on my phone in the cinema as I was watching <laughs> it, everything that was wrong with the film. I forgot to actually look at everything that was good in yeah. terms of Easter eggs. So... Um, thanks to YouTube, <laughs> you know, fist pump there for for someone doing a video on there and for putting it all out, which is good. But mm. I, I will just give it a watch anyway because I want to watch it and I love the I, I love the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack's great. Alan Silvestri has done a phenomenal job. Yes. you can tell yeah. that um, that that he's taken uh, information and well, not information. He's In, taken influence and... influences from Back to the Future and, yeah. and these other I think films. That, that was used at one point. I heard the yeah, very very briefly. Probably, I think the first time you see the DeLorean on the starting track yeah. is when you you hear the da, 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 yeah. and then it kind of stops. It's just a little tiny bit of fanfare. Did you notice the front of the um, DeLorean had the Night Rider? Yeah. It I loved that. It. it was yeah. it was combined. I was like, "Oh, was, this is the perfect car." <laughs> it was very, very clever. Very, very clever. Um, so yeah, so so that's what that's what was good about it. Mm. Um, I'm going to go through the differences between the book and the movie <laughs> uh, after we played a little bit of music. But um, but yeah, prepare I, yourself. Just yeah, just prepare yourself. Hashtag triggered.
Hey! This is Michael Winslow, and you're listening to the Film and TV Show with Richard S. Please press the hash key for more now. Hmm, that was not the hash key.
Aha. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, yes. So a uh, little bit of Van Halen jump there mm-hmm. and uh, Aha Take On Me, which you'll notice from the trailer. Yeah. Uh, one of the trailers for Ready Player One. Anyway, um, two absolutely amazing tunes yes, as well. Definitely. Absolutely amazing tunes. They, they really kind of. Especially Van Halen, just the, the the synth at the beginning is just like, oh, synth yes. Synth in general is so 80s and yeah. like, it's like, people call it cheesy, but I I really enjoy it. And yeah. Tron, uh, Tron Legacy, uh, the newest Tron, well, yeah, the most, yeah, yeah, that had a bit of synth in it and I really appreciated that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I appreciate anything that has a throwback to the 80s in mm. it. Definitely. Synth included. Uh, love the 80s. <laughs> um, we did have done two shows on the 80s as well. Uh, mm. So go back and check those out because uh, we've done two shows on those. Yeah. Um, anyway, right. So let, let's get on to... Um, <laughs> let, let me just let me just uh, sort out my chair. Let me just get a little bit higher. A little bit higher so I can get on my high horse. There we go. Okay, so... Get your glasses out and your... Uh, you know, yeah. uh, pocket protectors ready. Absolutely. Yes. So prepare to be triggered. So... The premise for the film is brilliant, okay? Yes. The, the book is very uh, very robust and very um, specific mm. in, in everything it has on it uh, and everything it goes through. And I know it's difficult to get it all into a two-hour and 20-minute film, and I completely appreciate it. But what I yeah. don't appreciate, Mr. Spielberg, is literally changing everything. So, uh, for instance, the way they get the first key... It isn't the DeLorean riding a race backwards through a city. That doesn't happen. It's going through his school and fighting a, um, a like a, 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 I don't know, like a knight to win the first key, okay. which is, first of all, found by Artemis, but she can't actually get past and, and beat him, whereas um, eventually Wade goes in as Parzival and wins the key, tells her how to do it, mm. and then she gets the key almost like two minutes later but she it, she's been doing it for a month okay before mm. they get it and it's all centered around his school which we know nothing about in the film and within that there is a, a very small um room that h has created yeah it's like a it's like a happy days break room type thing where okay. only select people like show and diato i rock um, go in there, and in the film, Irock is a baddie. In the book, Irock is a douchebag, but not a baddie. Doesn't work. oh, Irock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you know, I complete. I didn't even know that character had a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His I name just is, thought he was like Skull. And no, like, no, his name is Irock. And in the film, he's a baddie who works with the IOI. In the book, he's just a douchebag. That that's lit. He he's like, hmm. oh, I know this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. He's not. He doesn't work with the IOI in the book. At all. He's just a douche. He doesn't get the orb of Ozovox uh, at yeah. all. He doesn't have it hidden on him whatsoever. That's obtained by Sorrento himself whilst in the Oasis completing one of the challenges, which I will get to in a minute. Interesting. Okay, so there's that. There's no, let's say, no mention of the school that, uh, that Wade and H and Artemis all go to. Yeah. They all have their own school where they're protected and they're safe and they're on a specific planet within... The uh, okay. within the oasis that is centered around schools. So they on this planet there are like fifty different, fifty to a hundred different schools, all exactly the same, mm. all based around the school from The Simpsons. Okay, cool. Um, and they're they're basically they're all the same school. Okay, but they, they, you can jump and go into their yeah. area. You just can't go into their school. And the the first key is hidden outside of uh, another school. Yeah. So Wade has to get to this other school using um, 
Mathletics as a ruse to get there, and then he runs off to find the key uh, and and to win it first, which um, uh, annoys Artemis because she's been trying for a month to do it. Yeah, because um, she cracked Halliday's code. Yeah. Okay. Then you've got um, the uh, the meeting with Artemis. Now, in the book, he doesn't actually meet Artemis in the flesh. Okay, you mean like the physical meeting? The physical yeah. meeting. He doesn't meet her <clears throat> until the very, very end. After they've created, after they've done the main battle, he doesn't meet her in the flesh until then. Yeah. Um, and then he gives her a kiss, blah de blah de blah, yeah. in the grounds of uh, Ogmoro's house. Because in the book, Ogmoro actually protects them from the IOI, invites them in real life to his home yeah. where he has all this top-of-the-range kit fitted out where H, Wade, and uh, Daito, and... Show. Uh, no. In no the show. book, in the book, Show is killed. Oh. The IOI killed Show in the book just like they did to Wade's aunt. Okay. So Joe isn't even in it. He's He's been killed off, and he's not an 11-year-old boy neither. He's a, he's like a, a 16-year-old yeah, or whatever. Um, I can't remember the exact specifics. I'm sure someone will pull me up on it. But needless to say, he's already dead anyway in the book. Not. Uh, yeah. So um, so they all go to Morrow's house, and they all get put in their own little uh, like egg type thing yeah, to pod. go into the oasis. But he doesn't actually meet Samantha, who is Artemis, until afterwards, until after the battle has been done. Okay, so that's that's interesting from my perspective. I always thought, uh, in terms of when I watched the film and when I talked to you after I watched it, uh, I told you about my uh, sort of problems I had with the Murrow character. Yeah. Because I said that it's almost like he's complicit in the murders and kidnappings that IOI do if he's fully aware of it but does nothing in the real world to yeah. stop it. Um I did think it was highly convenient that uh, Wade is basically more or less um, basically H is contacted by Artemis and within five minutes H is there to whisk uh, yeah. Wade away well, to safety. In the real in the book, <clears throat> H and Wade actually set up a meeting mm. for H to come to to a specific place to meet him yeah. specifically, and it's just them two, because and that is when he finds out that. It, you know that H is actually a, a black chick, yeah, um, as opposed to who he thought H would be, yeah. Sort of expectations versus reality, yeah, yeah. I um, there was, for me, it was understandable that Artemis in the movie located Wade because he was stupid enough to say his own name uh, in the Oasis, which and, he does do in the book. I yeah. might add as well, and that scene is almost and that, perfect. That makes sense uh, in terms of her finding. Uh, finding him in the real world and yeah. sort of kidnapping him before IOI does. Um, but, but that that never happens. She never kidnaps him in the book. Yeah, but as, as we're going from just the movie, yeah. Uh, then we find out that she's got H's number, and that doesn't make sense to me because, yeah. first off, they're not really good friends or they're no. not really acquaintances that we find no. in the movie. Second off, you would need to find out H's real identity before you could obtain the number. Absolutely. Uh, and it just doesn't make sense as to why she hasn't already yeah. brought H into this. But the reason that that Wade gets all the information is that Wade actually mm. gets himself locked up in IOI. Okay. Whereas in the film, she gets kidnapped, uh, Artemis or Samantha gets kidnapped and put in it. Yeah. In the book, 
H actually, uh, not H, Wade actually sets it up so that he goes in and gets locked up in IOI in one of their learning centres to help mm. um, before they even know who he is and what his name is, etc. before they find out who he is, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And what he does is he sets up a back door where he sets up, um, he, he hacks into IOI from the inside, gets all the information on H, on Artemis, on Daito, mm. uh, Cho, um, who are called a high five, by the way, and you only hear about that at the end of the film, which really grinds me because you don't even you, you think it's a throwaway comment. Ah, oh, the high five. Well, hang on a minute, who are the high five? In the book, you actually find out who the high five are and mm. why they're called the high five. But anyway, off on a tangent. In terms of like the movie itself, I think it they uh, just prefer to be unplanned until the very end, and, yeah, and then they sort of. But Just they weren't haphazardly. But they weren't the even five. planned. They were called the High Five in the book because they were the only five top gunters. Yeah, on the for, leaderboard. On the leaderboard for so long. That's why mm. they were called the High Five because they were literally following each other in a pattern. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so going back, so uh, Wade is locked up in IOI. He hacks into the stuff, gets all the files on Samantha, sees what she looks like, realizes that she's a hottie. Um, <laughs> And he doesn't care about her birthmark on her face, which <laughs> yeah, is fine. That, that um, movie bit was a bit like... Yeah, well, I know, it, right. It, it wasn't that much the of wind, a, The wind casually issue. blowing her hair out of way to reveal her, her birthmark. What a load of crap. A hideous, dis- disgusting... Which she, she makes out in the book to be really, really bad. To and it's just, it's, it's just not, a red mark. It's just a red mark. But anyway, um, and what he does is he sets up um, a bot to deliver a bomb within the force field... Okay. Of the castle because he knows that that's what's going to happen because he's hacked IOI. He sees what they're going to do. Yeah. So he goes in, does it all, so that when they're standing there, he sets it to a timer so that the the orb of Ozovox blows up just as they're all standing outside, mm. and uh, Sorrento is standing there looking uh, a, a bit a bit sheepish. Yeah, seeing his force field break down. Yeah. That's how they break it down in the film, and it's it's not convoluted. It's very clever. Yeah. And and it shows the thought process of Wade. It makes and what Wade out to be a bit more proactive yeah. than reactive. Yeah. And then he, he eventually, you know, gets himself out, he hacks himself out of IOI and mm. then tells he goes to the little room where H, Artemis and Daito are. That's when he finds out that Cho's been killed. H, Artemis and Daito are all in H's little holographic room hidden mm. away, which has like locks on it so not anyone can just walk in. They have to be given a pass to get into the room. They okay. can't just walk in. And that's when Augie Morrow, because he's much like James Halliday, he can control, he can do whatever he wants in the Oasis. Yeah. There's no, nothing can stop him from going in. He's been listening to their secret meetings and stuff. That's when they, he then says, why don't you come to my house? I'll send someone to come pick you up. Blah, 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 blah. And that's how it gets to that. And they tell him how mad he is about, you know, what he's done and, and going to, to challenge Sorrento mm. and whatnot. Um, so there's there's that. The second key, completely wrong. Um, in was it the cinema? Uh, no, it was the the Shining. The Shining. Yeah, that doesn't happen in the film. It was fun though. In the book, it was fun. Yeah, yeah but in the book, it's <laughs> it, it's a game that um, he gets the extra life token from playing a different game mm. in uh, in the area, and he gets given a a, a quarter, twenty five cents, yeah. which is an extra life. It's not given to him by a butler. Okay. Yeah. Which which is uh, ridiculous. Um, he wins it in a game. Mm. Uh, and then he goes into the game, which then takes him into uh, James Halliday's bedroom, and he has to find the second key within the bedroom. Okay. Um, and then he comes out, um, and then moves on, 
and then the third key again completely wrong the third key is basically he goes into um oh do you know what i've forgotten it <laughs> damn that's just literally gone out of my mind it's not like it is in the film though it's completely different yeah. um oh yeah that's not they're, they're not standing there playing a game uh, and falling through the ice it's very similar Okay. And the, the the premise of the Easter egg from the original game is true and that's what he does. Okay. Is he goes that way to get the to get the third key. So that was probably the least edited of the yeah. three challenges. Yeah, the ice thing isn't true because he do, uh because yes, the IOI and the Sixers are doing it first, but it's not playing any which game they want and then dying or whatever. It's uh, they're playing the specific game adventure and failing. Okay. And that's when he realises that actually it's this, this and this. And then the third key, the three keys have to go into the door, which Sorrento was covered with the force field, etc., hmm. etc. Et um, it is um, quite a change. But I, th- I think in terms of the reason why some of these changes were implemented for the challenges was just to make them a bit more visually entertaining. Well, it's just convenient for their, their story arc, which was an absolute load of rubbish. In the <laughs> book, Sorrento actually run one keys two and three himself. He actually went in there and won them himself. So, but uh, then not, again, not the Sixers. Do people want to... Well, well when I'm saying people, uh, I personally, from hearing like the school mathlete thing to do I want to see like a load of fan service with some cars racing around a track I kind of did enjoy watching the race don't get me wrong I loved watching the yeah. race I thought it was great but the, what annoyed me was is that you don't see the DeLorean in the book until the dancing thing where the IOI yeah break in that's when you see the DeLorean for the first time not within the first like 15 minutes of the book in a race which is totally convoluted mm. completely like it's just a way of shoehorning in the DeLorean, the Batmobile, um, loads of other cars, King Kong, uh, Godzilla. It's There's a way Optimus of shoehorning on Optimus well. Prime as well. It's just a way of shoehorning <clears throat> all of that in there to get the references for the nerds. And it's utter, utter bollocks. Well, okay, so let's talk about something else um, that I think plays a large part in understanding uh, Steven Spielberg and his adaptations. If we're talking... Uh, looking at other work that he's adapted. He also did Michael uh, Crichton's Jurassic Park. Yep. Uh, And there were a lot of significant changes in there. Like, seriously, he he has changed a significant amount uh, from not only the roles of the the characters, uh, in terms of Sam Neill's character, uh, Ian Malcolm. uh, No, sorry, Sam Neill plays uh, Dr. Something Grant. Yeah, I can't think. I just call him Dr. Grant. Grant. Uh, And then you've got um, Jeff Goblin playing Ian Malcolm. Uh, Lots of these characters uh, were meant to die at certain places. Uh, I believe the only person that was supposed to survive in the actual book was the lawyer. Yeah. Uh, And he's the first to go in the movie. In the toilet scene, isn't it? Yes, yeah, in the toilet scene, because when you've got to go, you've got to go. Yeah. And if we look at the book, it is certainly not a perfect book. Uh, and if we look at the movie, uh, arguably one of Steven Spielberg's best, I would say. Yeah, uh, along I'd, with, I'd go with that, yeah. Along with E.T. and uh, Close Encounters, I'd oh, say. Oh, Close Encounters. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that this is one of his standout uh, movies. The movie is still not perfect. There are some plot errors. There are some, uh, there are some uh, issues in terms of continuity. 
but in general we all enjoy the movie uh, and i think when you look at the changes made between the book and the movie you can sort of forgive it because it's due to pacing it's due to what do people want to see more do they want to see the lawyer survive who's kind of you know sleazy or do they want to see uh, a couple of reasonably flawed but good people survive the movie no i want to see what's in the bloody book because <laughs> i want i would forgive spielberg if he had altered some of the you, you want to know about movies that stuck to the book look at twilight <laughs> yeah but that's just shoddy writing all the way from the beginning anyway they're awful books ernest klein has created a a world of 80s nostalgia True. and and the, the way that he's he's paced it and the way that he's written each part of the book it it just literally it, it's such a smooth transition between each part whereas and I think, in in the movie it's it's too jarred it's too jagged you have to you, you're watching it and you think okay so how do they know that then where did that come from it's like he's cherry picked little bits i think ernest klein itself uh, with the book um, he chose a lot of the '80s nostalgia because that was the uh, that was available to him to choose. Yeah, uh, it wasn't exactly uh, he couldn't predict that there would be uh, no, of <laughs> Master not. Chief or Halo or anything. But I think what Steven Spielberg tried to do was not only include the '80s nostalgia from the things like the Ghostbusters yeah. and uh, Back to the Future and everything, but he was also trying to make it so that um, trying to make a movie that would be uh, remembered from not just the 80s generation but the 90s even the noughties generation because you do have things like master chief in there uh, and people there are some people in the world god rest their souls um that have never seen back to the future um they should but they may not uh and maybe this movie i hope sort of like leapfrogs them into going well i don't know what that reference is about maybe i'll maybe i'll watch the movie but certainly there will be things that appeal to everyone in the movie. And I think, yes, it would have been awesome if he could have stuck more to the book. But certainly you can't really fault him for trying to make it appeal to and more I, people. I don't, I don't fault him for trying to make it more openly appealing to, mm. to those who, who don't like uh, reading books. Or as, as you put it in our chat on, uh, on, on Facebook Messenger, a book geek. <laughs> you are a bit book geek right now. I don't care. Okay, <laughs> reading is cool. Reading are like bow ties. Oh, no, no. Reading Re is. I, I highly recommend everyone to read the book before they see the movie. Please do because um, do you know, I didn't, but uh, I, I sort of regret it now because it seems like it uh, would be a really interesting book to read. I tell I, I would be interested to know what you think about mm. about the film after you've read the book. I will. I will make a promise that I will uh, begin to start reading it. Uh, after this podcast, excellent. You do that, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a chat outside of uh, outside of here. We can come back um, in like a few months, <laughs> yeah, and, or hopefully a few few weeks. <laughs> yeah, it won't take me that long to read a book. No, I mean I, I read it from cover to cover in two and a half days because I literally mm. couldn't put it down purely because I was so engrossed in mm. in Ernest Klein's writing style that. I just didn't want to put it down. I wanted to see what was going to happen to Wade next. What was going to happen to H? You mm. know, they had a big falling out in the book. Huge falling out in the book. Mm. Um, over Artemis, actually. Whereas in the film, it's kind of like a throwaway comment. Oh, you don't want to get involved. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. You don't know what she's like. And you don't know who she is in the real world. Which which is what they do in the book. But 
I'm just like, I, I would forgive Spielberg if he'd have kept... <laughs> forgive? Yeah, because I, I, I don't forgive him at all. Um, I, I would forgive Spielberg um, for uh, some of his misgivings in the film if he'd have actually stuck to the bulk of the book and added in some things around the school, around mm. the get, getting the way they get the keys right, because the way they get the keys... Is more is not it's not the way they get the keys, it's the uh, it's the journey through it because it shows the the mindset of James Halliday, okay. and it shows what sort of person he was as opposed to the in the film where it makes him out to be this total geek. Yes, he was a total geek, but he was a recluse. He was very alone. He was very much, um, you know, just himself, and he dragged himself into the oasis and created it as a, a way of escapism mm. and the way that they get the keys is helping the the gunters and the high five to get into his mindset to prove that they are worthy enough to run the oasis and that they're not literally just holiday geeks who mm. are sifting through all of his personal, di- information. personal information to get the keys they're they're going on this journey to actually understand how his mind works, and that is the beauty of the way that the keys are won in the book. I do have one question for you. Though. Go on, then. Um, in the book, is uh, Murrow more of a reluctant helper than uh, he appears in the movie? Because in the movie, with his revealed um, yeah, yeah. avatar... Oh, no, he is... He, he, he spoke to Halliday... In the book, he spoke to Halliday a week before he died, knowing that Halliday was going to die. Mm. Um and was under strict instructions not to get involved. But okay. Then Sorrento started killing people. Yeah. And that was when he was like, Do you know what? I can't, I have to help. So he does. He offers a sanctuary. See, I like that more than the movie. Yeah. Because um I'll just reveal it now. Basically the um because if you're listening, this is again spoilers, uh the butler in the movie is uh in fact uh Murrow, yeah, uh, that's his sort of avatar that he uses, uh, and he's the one that gives the uh, extra life to uh, Parsifal. Uh, and basically, I just found that too convenient, way too convenient, yeah. Because you're talking about a guy who was forced out of the company by Halliday, uh, albeit slightly reluctantly, yeah, yeah. Um, but he was forced out, and uh, the way it's sort of portrayed is like, oh, no hard feelings, yeah, I'll help Halliday, and like. Um, they say it's been five years since a clue has been found. So you're saying that um, in five years, Murrow yeah. has logged in every day for five years to give random people these clues. Yeah, uh, and then well, in in the book, he has no idea where Halliday is hidden the keys. Mm. All he is told by Halliday is his plans for the competition. And it's super creepy that in the movie they use Murrow's wife as yeah. the second key. Yeah, they don't kind of yeah. That was that was weird, and to me that was just a bit like, okay, I'm sure Halliday may have had some social issues, but if he's had a one ba- bad day, I don't yeah. think he's so hung up on yeah, it. Yeah, that didn't sit right with me at all about the about the second key in the film, where because in the book it's completely different. It is, it's not. She's not really forms part of it in the book, but she mm. is mentioned. Um, but it's, it's yeah, not that it's, sort of serious. No, no, it's not. But in in the book. Og, Og Morrow is basically spying on the High Five yeah. to to make sure that they're going in the right direction and that they aren't going to be beaten by the IOI and Sorrento. Whereas 
Um, and then he gets to the point where he just has to step basically in. step in and say, look, I can't, I can't physically help you. I can only observe. Because, but yeah, I just, here's my house. Here's all my top-of-the-range gear. Yeah. Crack on and kick his ass. That's the, that's the thing, because in the actual movie itself, you have no one helping these people, uh, and the police don't seem as though they've been contacted, involved in any way. And you're thinking, these this company could, in theory, be buying the police out yeah. uh, and just keeping them silent. But then you've got Murrow, who's probably as rich, if not you richer. Know, richer than uh, the entire company, uh, IOI. So why hasn't he stepped in to try and help? Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. And the fact that he shows up at the end and is all smiles and is like, yeah, I was the butler, you just think, why didn't you help more? Yeah, why didn't why didn't you actually physically help them when you saw that IOI were, were doing people. what they were doing? Yeah. Whereas in the book, he's he's sworn to not interfere, mm. but to observe and to guide those yeah. who are who are on the path. And that could have been a throwaway line in the movie that they could have had that would have then made a little bit more sense. Yeah. But the fact is, you don't get that. So all you're thinking is, wow, this guy's a bit of a jerk. Yeah, he could have actually helped them from the start, and he yeah. never did. But in the book, like I say, in the book, he hasn't got a clue where the eggs are, where the keys are. He, yeah. he has no idea. All he knows is that this is what's going to happen. Halliday is going to die. Yeah, He was very, very ill, so he was going to die. And uh, he made Morrow promise not to get involved and, mm. not, and not to use his powers as such in the Oasis to, to do it. You know, yeah. it was it was Halliday's wish that someone would earn the right to uh, to become the uh, the head of it, basically. Mm. And in the book, at the end, when um, when Wade is there, Sorrento is also there as well. Okay. And uh, basically, um, Halliday makes Wade the uh, basically the anorak. He makes him. He yeah. he has uh, in Wade's visor. He sees that he then becomes this all-encompassing um, avatar. He's yeah. he gets He's got all access his, to the whole system. Yeah, basically his avatar changes with in front of his eyes in the oasis, and um, Halliday just turns to Sorrento and just literally waves his hand and kicks him out of the oasis and bans him from it forever. Yeah, literally waves his hand and and that's it. Um, the big button thing to to cancel the oasis. That's right. Um, they don't close the Oasis for two days a week in the book. That They don't do to that. To me, is, um, that was really weird. Uh, yeah. Because in terms of, <laughs> in terms of like limiting people, it's, like it's, it's technically their life to live. Yeah, you can't dictate that to them. And also, if you wanted to make it a better place, why not simply just give it the rule that um, when you die, you no longer lose all your wealth and possessions? Yeah. Because that would so, be far more like freeing than people still probably going into debt um, yeah. on the Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I know it's it, it, it's just ridiculous, and uh, but that doesn't happen in the book. He it, he does uh, he he doesn't split the the power between the five of them. He is the only one he's with the avatar. that. He is the only one with all the all seeing power. But he does make the high five as close to uh, immortal in the Oasis as he is. Okay. So he makes them almost as immortal as him. So he, he can't transfer yeah. the whole power to them because he he can't eat. That's not physically possible. But he makes them as high as physically possible so that they have the same. Yeah, there uh, was just 
with that ending though with some of the things they said it was like okay so you shut down the the centers that were basically yeah. entrapping people and which they do in the book anyway which is which is great that's probably one of the best things he does but it's not like oh i'm going to share the wealth no it's i'm going to keep the wealth and because i'm so wealthy now in game i'm going to shut it down tuesdays and thursdays so i can live and no one else will catch up yeah it's like wow that is a that's, that's a real a, dick move. That's a dick move, yeah. No, but yeah, in in the book, that that's not the case. Him and Artemis do do eventually get together, that's, obviously, which yeah. is standard. Um, but they don't. He doesn't close it down for two days a week. Um, As in, I I understand what Steven Spielberg is trying to get at with everything in moderation. And yeah. Like it may be a fantastic place to live in, but the real world can be fantastic too. Well, but yeah. you shouldn't have to censor people. Uh, that's effectively like saying it's a bit like the sugar tax that we've got now. It's, yeah. If people want to drink fizzy drinks until they die, they should be free to. But why impose a tax on everyone that can drink normally? Yeah. It, I know it's it, it's it, it's scandalous, and the, the hidden yeah. message within within the the film is that you know the real world is where you get your food and your sleep and your and your yeah. nourishment. The the oasis or the internet is what he's basically alluding to. Spielberg yeah. is alluding to the internet is it isn't real. You shouldn't be spending your entire life on the internet. You need to. to that to feels take very sort of parental almost. It feels it feels very self uh, self righteous self righteous yes. of Steven Spielberg to turn around and say, "Do you know what? I've got this platform." Ra 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 ra, and it's just like, oh, man. Yeah. Why are you joining? We're not, not going to go down that route. But, but yeah, no. But it's, yeah, it's uh, the the book is far far superior to uh, to the film. And although I advocate that you must go and watch the film because it is a phenomenal piece of cinema. It really, really is a fantastic mm. film. Do not get me wrong; it is a brilliant film, but it is a flawed film. It's flawed. Yeah, it's flawed for many many reasons. But I would. I would really hope, and I urge all of you listening, yeah, to go and see it. Go and see the film. Buy it on DVD, yeah. but also buy Ernest Cline's book. Yes. Read, actually read Ready Player One, the, the novella, the novel, the book, whatever you want to call it. Read it, absorb it. It's one of those things that, as we said during the well, as I said to you during the break, could anyone have directed that movie better? And no, I don't think there would be. Uh, Steven Spielberg is a tremendous director and he may have gotten a few things wrong and he may have had a bit of a self-righteous message to flog but certainly that movie is going to go uh, hopefully uh, into sort of everyone's collections just so that they can put it in uh, on in the background play it and just in, first of all enjoy the synth music yeah. <laughs> uh, second of all just occasionally glance at it and be like huh I didn't see that reference before but now I get it yeah and and, and- it will go in my collection without yeah. shadow or doubt. It will be in my collection, but I've already. And I said to you in the break, I'm actually rereading mm. Ready Player One again because it's just an enthralling book. And I, I urge anyone buy it on the Kindle, buy mm. the hard copy from Amazon, whatever. Just read the book if you've seen the film, or if you want to see the film, buy the book, read the book, go and see the film, whatever. As long as you do both, watch the film and read the book because. You will see the differences, and you will, yeah, you will sit there shaking your head. I kid you not. I was in the cinema, at Butlins and Skegness, <laughs> right? There was about oh. twenty people in there watching it. The people in there clearly had not read the book, and I'm sitting there shaking my head. I walked out with 
a sore neck from all the head shaking I'd done because I was literally like, I cannot believe you've done this, Spielberg. But I couldn't tear myself away from it because it was so visually encapsulating yes. that I just I had to stay to watch it regardless of the pain in my neck from shaking my head and going, oh, for God's sake, what are I, you doing? Spielberg? I would recommend the other way of doing it, which is go in there, watch the movie, then come out and read the book. Well, um, because it, yeah, whichever way you want to do it, yeah. do both because <laughs> it's uh, the book is far far superior. It's uh, it's far more encapsulating, far more engrossing, and far more eighties um, and retro than you could ever imagine. I would actually say um, that Stanley Kubrick's rule of fooling the audience uh, is ironically applying to this movie uh, because obviously The Shining is in the movie. Yes, uh, but. This movie will make you fooled for the hour that you watch it or for the two hours and something minutes yeah. that you watch it because you'll come out and you'll be like, oh, that was really enjoyable. And then when you drive all the way home uh, and you you like sit down on the couch with a cup of tea or something, then you'll think, hang on a second, that didn't make sense. Yeah. But despite all the flaws that eventually flood back into your mind... You still enjoyed it. You still enjoyed it. Yeah. And and that that is the overall arc of it is that you will enjoy the film... If you love 80s and synth music and 80s music and video anything games. like video games, you're going to love the film. It's yes. phenomenal. It is everything that is promised if you haven't read the book. It's got comic books, it's got movies, it's got video games, everything. Yep. Yeah, So, but, but definitely watch the film. If you haven't already seen it, go and see it. If not, wait for the DVD because it won't belong to that's out. No. And get the book. Download Ernest Klein's book. Buy Ernest Klein's book. Uh, you know, Ready Player One. Read it and absorb it because you will thank me for it because mm. it is one of those books that you just won't be able to put down. And the character arcs in it, the character building, everything about it is spot on. It really is spot on and it's a perfect um, perfect book for anyone who A, enjoys reading, B, has a, uh, has a love of the 80s and anything retro and nostalgic, mm. and C, Someone who has an active imagination because you need yes. a lot of imagination when you're reading Ready Player One to to kind of use what you know from your film knowledge or whatever to to kind of build a mental picture. And you will need that when you're reading this book. And that is, you know, that takes a great writer to be able to do that. Yeah. And I, I can tell you, I can only think of probably three others that have actually allowed me to do that. One of those being J.K. Rowling. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, did you clear that nasty? Uh, yeah, I need to clear that. Need to clear that throat. nasty thing from uh, from my chest. Yeah, J.K. Rowling, Fantastic Beasts. <coughs> yeah. Anyway, like uh, Peter crap. F. Hamilton. Not heard of him. But. Um, and Robert Crane. Hmm. Um, they are the only authors that have really given me uh, kind of a, a free flowing imagination when mm. I'm reading their books. So. Um, go and watch the film Ready Player One out in cinemas now depending on when you're listening to it we're in April at the moment so (laughs) it's still out now but if not buy it on DVD or Blu-ray I would actually advocate you buy it on Blu-ray because it will look phenomenal look phenomenal Um, get yourself a decent TV as well like a 4K TV it will look insanely good absolutely and read the book Mm. read the book um, right that's it we've kind of gone over our hour by the way wow. um, but then you know <laughs> that it, it is what it is so thank you for persevering uh, you guys listening uh, we massively appreciate it we will be back next week um, where we will go through Spielberg's back catalogue of films yes um, we will talk about other Spielberg films uh, and go through that as well uh, which we were going to do today but I really had to kind of do this <laughs> Ready Player One book versus movie yeah. uh, podcast because uh, 
everyone's doing a review of the film, but I actually want to review the book versus the film. I want to be a little bit different. We we want to be a little bit different. Thank you for including me. <laughs> That's all right, just sitting there. What about me? Um, yes, we want it to be a little bit different. Uh, obviously, I have the advantage having read the book. Hmm. Um, I have the advantage because I enjoyed the movie. And you haven't read the book. So, so it's, it's two, two, two different aspects. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for... For joining me again, Alex. No uh, worries. It's been it's been just quick as yeah, always. Super quick. It's super quick. Um, and that's it. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week with Spielberg. And uh, yeah, drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Let us know if you don't know what our hashtags are and what our uh, profiles are and everything else <laughs> on on those. Uh, have a listen back to some of our other shows. Yeah. Um, and do actually have a listen back to some of our other shows because we've got some crackers on there. Um, and we'd love for you to leave a review on some of the others as well as uh, as well as this one. Um, and that's it. Have a good evening. Have a good week. And uh, we shall see you. See you next week. See you next week. Take care. There is one more thing. It's been emotional. What do you want to do with your life? I want to rock.